New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Our guest today, poet and philosopher Mark Nepo, is a spiritual teacher and writes, Without a foundation from which to navigate existence, we can become like trees without roots. Without the direct touchstone that love and suffering affirm for us, and with so many virtual and technological distractions, we can bounce between intensities that grab our attention and drain our energy. Without being grounded in what is real, we can mistake intensity for truth and stimuli for meaning when they are only shiny objects blowing about in the storm of circumstance. I'm sure, dear listener, you're wanting to hear that once more to fully digest its meaning. But I'm going to do something better. I'm going to have a conversation with Mark about surviving and thriving and unraveling the noise of modern life that prevents us from living in the fullness of our life force. Mark Nepo is a poet and philosopher and a most eloquent spiritual teacher. In 2015, he was given a Life Achievement Award by Age Nation, and in 2016 was named by Watkins Mind, Body, Spirit as one of the most spiritually influential living people. He was part of Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Tour in 2014 and has appeared several times with Oprah on her Super Soul Sunday program on OWN TV. And as a cancer survivor, Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. Mark Nepo is the author of many audio learning projects and more than 20 books, including Reduced to Joy, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters, and Falling Down and Getting Up, Discovering Your Inner Resilience and Strength. So join us for the next hour as we explore navigating the fear that makes us small and delight that opens us up to resilience with our guest, Mark Nepo. I'm speaking with Mark from his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Mark, welcome. 
Oh, thank you, Justine. It's great to be with you again. It's always wonderful to be with you again. And as I I think I wrote you a note about when I was in the midst of reading this newest book of yours, you just took me on so many side journeys. <laughs> I just was finding myself just wandering <laughs> through all sorts of wonderful new things in my life is all I can say. You took me on a wild ride. I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Thank you so much. And if, if we could start, I know that you talk about and write about the chaos of life that we're immersed in and the many moods that we manifest in our lives. And you talk about how the heart plays an important role in in how our life force manifests. So I'd love for you to talk about the heart, how that works in our life. Well, I think, you know, I feel, and again, as always, when we talk, we're just comparing notes on being alive and I don't have any answers, but I, we can, you know, I'll just share from my experience. And, and I, I have found, um, Ever, ever since being young and certainly on the other side of my cancer journey, that the heart is our, our greatest muscle, our mysterious resource. It's bottomless. It is the conduit to all the mysteries and, and all the forces of spirit and life force. I would start here with this phrase to know by heart. And in the modern world, Oh, we assume that that means, oh, that I must need to memorize something if I know it by heart. Uh, that's not, no, that, that's a total subversion of what the heart is and how it can be available to us. That is not to know by heart. To know by heart is to let the forces of life, both difficult and wondrous, move through us, move through us, inform us. Uh, alert us and and awaken us to all of our own resources. You know, in Eastern Europe, uh, old Jewish rabbis in these little Jewish villages would get up and like spiritual roosters, and they'd ring a bell at daybreak, and and the Yiddish term is shekinah, means God is in exile, not quite in exile, but more dormant. And their their whole beautiful notion was, God is dormant until you get up and are in relationship. So get up and be in relationship. Make God visible, and that is through the heart. And I and I think that you know one of the things that from from my cancer journey, of course, is that. You know, almost dying, I dropped from my head into my heart. And ever since then, my mind has served my heart and not the other way around. And I'll share one other story for us to begin. And that is, I'm sure you've uh, heard of the the Buddhist uh, university in, in Boulder, Colorado, Naropa. And I've, I've been uh, wonderfully, I've spoken there a few times and, of course, I'm always interested, well, why do you call it Naropa? And I found 
an old prof- old professor. He's probably our age. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and um, he shared with me this history that Naropa was a world religion scholar in the 11th century in India. He knew all the known religions at that time. He was, you know, kind of their version of our Houston Smith. And so the story was that I forget what city it was that the university was in, but he was walking in the city in the 11th century and an old woman was passing him and she stopped and lifted her cane and said, aren't you Naropa? And he said, oh, well, yes, I am. He was getting all (laughs) puffed up and ready to sign an autograph. And she said, do you know the heart of all those teachings? And he was caught off guard. He said, of course I do. Got defensive. And then she walked on and he walked on. And when they got about 20 feet or so away, he knew he had lied. And he turned around and ran back and knelt before her and said, be my teacher. Ah. And so ever since, Naropa has been a symbol of embodied wisdom. Right. Wisdom that we know by heart. Right. We put in Western civilization, we really uh, hold the mind up as this as our wonderful uh, way of being in the world. And the activity of the mind can be useful. There's some good use there. What what you're doing is bringing us down to this embodiment, as you said, the embodiment of the heart, which is what it does so well. I don't know. I don't think we can feel the mind, but we can actually feel the heart. And there is is a paradox here, because in many traditions, at its very deepest center, the mind and heart are considered one perceptual organ. You know, in Japanese culture, there's a term kokoro, which means mind, heart, now. Mind, heart, now. But of course, we in being human, you know, we play foreground and background. And we, we do in the modern world in the West, we we are over top heavy in the head and, and in the rational sense so much that we um we misname things of the heart you know for instance uh when we think about what's rational from the mind we call the opposite irrational no 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 from the heart it's intuitive the opposite of rational is intuitive not irrational Beautiful. There was a phrase that, that I read in your book, and I it just sort of popped for me, Mark, and you called it spiritual physics. <laughs> and, and you said that there's a law of spiritual physics. Do you, do you recall that yes. and, and what that is? Yeah, so I think that, you know, and the, for, for me, as, as I experience it, just as we have laws of nature, physics, so let's take gravity, always, you know, pulling us, grounding us. Well, there are, there are uh, tendencies or laws, spiritual laws of all the invisible forces. And so one of them, I would say, is the emanation of spirit and light. So the opposite of gravity is this emanation that comes out of everything. And that is a law, I would say, of spiritual physics that everything allowed its true nature will, and a, and a great 
you know, teacher of this are flowers. They blossom from the inside out. And so, and, and, and I think that they're a great model of transformation because just think of how a flower, so whether it's you plant a seed or it's a wild seed, this seed starts underground and this law of spiritual physics, it starts to yearn for a force it doesn't know yet, and that's light. It doesn't even know what light is, and it's growing toward it. And then finally, it breaks ground, and now it grows in two directions. It grows inwardly and outwardly, roots and shoots. And finally, when it's strong enough, it starts to blossom. And literally, when a flower blossoms, it is revealing its inner beauty by turning itself inside out. And it does all of this without going anywhere. And this is a great metaphor for the life of the emanation of spirit through a soul, through a heart, in a life on earth. And we are called to that, I think, very naturally. We, you know, we can block it. We can be blocked. We can be um, knocked down. But this is our challenge is how do we honor that emanation of spirit? that wants to come through us, that brings us to each other and to life. Beautiful, beautiful. I want to tell our listeners that I'm here with Mark Nepo, and he is the author of Falling Down and Getting Up, Discovering Your Inner Resilience and Strength. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, marknepo.com. He spells his last name N E. P-O, P as in Peter, N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Mark Nepo, a wonderful, you, you've just written so many wonderful, beautiful, beautiful, my whole, my, I have a whole shelf of books <laughs> and, and, and poetry, you know, the poetry is just so beautiful. And thank you so much. I love to talk story because uh, you have so many stories that live within you. As he said earlier, it's, you haven't <laughs> memorized them. They're just kind of living in the cells of your body. And one of the stories that you came up with in this newest piece of writing, I had not heard before. And it was, I think it was from India. 
and it was really about how our life can be lived inside a cup or it can be oh yes if you can tell that story absolutely so this is an anonymous ancient teaching story from india which gives us some uh some guidance on how to meet fear and pain and i love these ancient anonymous stories so this story has a master and apprentice as they all do and the truth is that the master finds this apprentice very annoying because all he does is complain, complain, complain. So the master says to the apprentice one day, I'd like you to bring me a handful of salt, put it in a glass of water and bring it to me quietly. So <laughs> the apprentice comes, he does, and the master says, well, drink from the glass. And the apprentice does, and he spits it out. And the master says, what's the matter? He says, oh, it's bitter. The master says, I want you to bring the exact same handful of salt and follow me quietly. So the apprentice has cups his hands with the same amount of salt, and he follows the master, who leads him to a lake. And he says, put the salt in the lake. And he does, and the master says, now drink. So the apprentice kneels down, and he scoops up some water and drinks it, dribbles down his chin. And the master says, well, and oh, the apprentice says, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice. He says, stop being a glass, become a lake. Yeah. Stop being a glass, become a lake. Now, it's, it's, I tell this story, and it, it, this is how it touches me, is that everyone gets their handful of salt. No one is exempt. Fear, pain, we may get it a clump or a grain at a time, but every, no one goes through life without that salt. And when faced with that, it's, we cannot eliminate it. There, there are actually legitimate reasons, uh, if we're accurate, that fear and pain function before we inflate them. But we can't eliminate it, but we can right-size it. And what this story tells us is fear and pain, and, and you might say, well, okay, that doesn't sound like a good thing like to be a glass. I won't do that. Well, yes, you will. And I will. Yeah. Because we're human. Yeah. We don't have to, because pain and fear, when they say, hello, make us a glass. They yes. That's our first impulse, right? Yes. Often. And, and we don't, but we don't have to stay there. And so what this story invites us, encourages us, if we, the only thing to do when we meet fear and pain is to enlarge our sense of things. So it can right size. And if we don't do that, if we stay a glass, not only will the fear and pain be more acute, but we'll grow bitter. Uh-huh. We'll uh -huh. grow bitter. So the question the for all of our listeners who are with us is the personal practice question is what stories, experiences, practices, relationships help you enlarge your sense of things? What's in your toolbox? So the next time that pain and fear say hello, you can, you know what you can turn to to enlarge your sense of things. I want to talk about that more thoroughly in just one moment. But before I do that, I need to bring up a story that you related from one of the people, a woman who attended one of your retreats. Sure. And it was so impressive to me. It just blew me away. And this is talking about if 
if you think you can't do this, if you think, oh, my fear is too great or my regret is too great or my whatever I'm feeling, whatever challenge is going on that's painful in my life is too great, I can't do this. And this woman had been hit by a car. And tell us where she uh, went. It just blew my socks yeah, it was off. Very touching. And you know, these stories, you can't make them up. You, you know, and this is where if we really look at life with, with as clear eyes and heart as we can, everything we need is right there. So this woman had shared with me that she had been hit by a car and while she was waiting for the ambulance to come and she was afraid, of course, and in pain. And above her, it was a beautiful day and the, the clouds were drifting in this beautiful blue sky. And as she lay there waiting, she, within, not, not transcending out of her body, but from her brokenness, she found a way to anchor into the, the beautiful blueness of the sky that was carrying the clouds. And it became timeless for her. And that became a resource for her, an anchor by which she got through. She was the ambulance picked her up and she went to the hospital. And, and ever since then, that's her go-to place. That's the place she goes to enlarge her sense of things. That there's this, and this goes back to the spiritual physics, that at the core, as human beings, the being is infinite, but the human is quite finite. <laughs> and, and so how do we navigate? Well, we're not, we're not running from life. We're deepening and touching into our being so that groundedness can help us get through life. So another way that I think that I can make a, a metaphor that's helpful to make this distinction is is of the ocean. You know, when we look at the ocean, um, the top six inches, maybe eight inches, is always disturbed by weather. That's just the nature of it. It's not because the wind and the and all the weather is evil. It's just natural. Well, but but if you go down deeper. You can't tell where the wave stops and the deep begins. It's all one water. And I would offer that that's a great metaphor for our spirit and our psychology. The top eight inches of water, if you will, that meets the every day, that meets the world, that's our psychology. That's where our mind and heart meet circumstance. And if all we do is stay up there, we're going to get battered around like a pinball in a pinball machine and we don't we don't retreat from it because it's all the same water but but if i meet like she did the the accident but then go deeper we know as you go deeper into water things slow down they move slower you still feel what enters at the surface but it, it the edge is taken off it so our, 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 our challenge as human beings, as spirits in body, in time on earth, our challenge is how do I inhabit both? How do I not run from the circumstances of life, harsh as they may be, and go deeper? 
Exactly. Yes, thank you so much. I want to go back to something that you said earlier. Also, we were talking about guiding principles. And there's something that you say, walk with, uh, I think you call it walk with this or something. Questions to walk with. Questions to walk with. Right. Thank you. And there, so throughout your writing, you have these like pauses, questions to walk with. And one of them for me, which just really, really got me was um, the process of writing down or understanding or or creating three guiding questions of my life you know you you really kind of gave an assignment to me <laughs> like okay what are my guiding questions that when i'm confused when i'm you know off kilter when I'm in fear, whatever it is, and I'm contracting and living in my cup rather than my, what will remind me, say something about the um, importance or how helpful that can be for us. So, so, and the reason I ask these questions is because I'm committed to the invitation for er everyone that I get to work with or a reader or student is it's how do we personalize this journey? Because there are no how-tos. I, I can't offer any how. But we can, if something speaks to you, where does it live in your life? The questions are the step to practice. And so, you know, these guiding uh, questions is how, and so let's say a word about questions first. And that questions in the outer world have answers like, how do we turn on the computer so we can hear each other right now? And, you know, which foods in the grocery store are edible and which products are not? Those have answers. And those are, but in the inner world, questions don't have answers. Mm-hmm. Questions open doors to relationship. We ask a question in the inner world the way we'd open a door that we'd like to walk through with someone. So when I, when I invite um, you to, what are the, what are three guiding questions in your life? What questions will lead you into being more alive? You know, so one kind of question for me that's a guiding question that is kind of like a practice now is that when I get confused or things seem complicated or I'm not sure which way to go with something, I ask myself of what's before me, I say, is this heartening or is this disheartening? And even if it's difficult, if it's heartening, then I'm in. If it's disheartening, what am I doing there? Yes, but, oh, but, I don't know if I could do this to this because is it heartening and life-giving or is it disheartening and life draining and if it's life draining why am i there i i'm reminded of um something that um i read once and it was um einstein it it seemed like he was uh when he was a professor he he was um asked by a student if um the same questions would be on the test (laughs) that that you know, he had given before, and Einstein said, oh, yes, 
they'll be the same questions, but the answers will be different. <laughs> that's and, wonderful. <laughs> and that's what I think you're talking about is that these are unanswered. These are questions that will continue to work with us and work with us. And we'll come up with different scenarios as we go along and as we grow into them. And I, again, I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with this wonderful man, Mark Nepo. And we're just having a wonderful time talking about all these, uh, how to move from confusion and and the directions we might go in our lives. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with spiritual teacher, poet, writer, renaissance man, I would say. There is something that just delighted me, Mark, about when I read this because I go, oh, this is how I feel. Uh. And it's about how you read books and oh. read in books as teacher and ally. You sent me on a whole process when I read this part, and I want you to talk about that, and then I want you to talk specifically about the the circles that you've had where you use books as oracles. Oh, well, thank okay. you. So, okay. Yeah, so I, this, this is a centerpiece in this book is – uh, I, I wound up looking at the books that have shaped how I see and understand over time and the books that have been the influencers in my life and and why. And, and so that was a very amazing journey to do that. And I invite anyone who's listening to, to do that as well. It's, it's really was a great experience. And, you know, I remember, um, for instance, you know, one of the very first books was when I, I was in like seventh and eighth grade and I had an amazing English teacher, Miss Forshee, and, um, who I have connected with after all these years wonderfully. And she must've seen something in me because I would, hang around and ask all these questions about what we were reading. And, and then one day she uh, gave me a very small book by Ian Rand, a novel called Anthem. This it isn't the Fountainhead or Atlas Shrugged. It's a very small, thin book called Anthem. And she just said, I wonder what you would think about this. Why don't you take it home? And, oh, I was just, you know, devoured it. And it was one of the first things that taught me about the power of narrative, because this is a dystopian story, kind of like Brave New World or 1984 by George Orwell. But the entire thing is told, uh, the storyteller is using the pronoun we. And so you get through the whole book, and then at the very end, you discover 
that it's a single person, but the word I has been banished from this society. And so this character rediscovers the self. And just that turn in storytelling opened up a whole world to me as a little seventh grader of that forever shaped my mind about the magic of narrative. That was early on influence. And so other books, I mean, I'll tell you one other kind of amazing uh, teaching for me, turning point, was uh, Helen Liu, the Jungian analyst, who was a mentor for me. And she wrote a book, which I referenced there, Dark Wood to White Rose, which is all about the journey of transformation in Dante's Divine Comedy. Now, even when I met her, I mistakenly, you know, she had asked me if I had read it, not because she wrote it, but because she sensed something in my journey would be helped by looking at this. And I hadn't at the time. And I, I actually kind of mistakenly avoided it because I thought, oh, this is going to be literary criticism. I've had enough of that. Well, it's anything but. And I actually wound up reading it after she passed away, which was kind of beautiful because I heard her voice as I read it. And... And what she shares in this, which is remarkable, is that the journey that Dante takes through hell and purgatory and paradise is not a climb up a mountain. It's a horizontal journey. That is, we're all the same six inches from heaven or hell, depending on if we fall down or get up. And she says it's a journey of consciousness. And she equates hell as the cost of false living and purgatory as the struggle to be real, and paradise as the struggle to stay real. Forever changed my approach to life. Forever changed it. So I invite people to think about the influencers in, in, in your lives. And, right. and so the thing about using books as oracles is I've always read uh, kind of in a cross-pollinating way with many books at once. And we'll go from one book to another. Um, and we do have it with our loved ones and friends every once in a while, you know, instead of a dinner party, we have a book party. And, you know, for dessert, we just bring out dozens of books and we invite people to bring a handful of books. So everybody brings six or 10 books and we just put them on the floor in the living room on top of each other. And then we take a turn. Every person just goes in and intuitively picks up a book and opens it and reads what they find. And we do that until everyone has read. And then we look at what these voices say to us together or alone. And then we do it again and we do as many rounds as feels right. And then we know when the evening's over. And don't you make it like a, you can feel a, a, a field of meaning kind of coming out. It, oh, it becomes so, cohesive. So one, of the, one of the ways that I write and is that if I'm working and exploring, let's say I'm exploring just what we talked about, this notion of this journey of transformation. Well, I will start to write and then I will suddenly say, you know, I wonder what Carl Jung has to say about that. And I'll go back here and pull out a book of his and just open it and read a paragraph. And most of the time, it speaks to what I'm exploring. And then I'll 
pull out someone else. And then I'll, you know, I'll have six, seven, eight things. And then all of a sudden I look and all those quotes help me weave a tapestry that becomes a chapter in one of the books. Mark, I do somewhat the same thing because like when I'm preparing for an interview and oftentimes it's with someone who's written a book. So I'm reading the book and I take notes as I go along. I do it verbally, just talking to my computer oh, and it great. it turns things into a document. So like uh, for our conversation, I have 31 pages oh my God. Wow. of conversation that I have already had with you. <laughs> I've I already started my conversation with you and I did just what you're talking about. I read something you said and I make my own little note within that and then it would take me to oh I'm going to look that up. Oh he said theater. Okay, the Greek word for that is what to 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 see or to be see present. Be all right and so then I look that up and then I go into that or some myth you bring up. And so I'm already in this deep conversation before we even start this recording. Well, this all th- that's wonderful. Thank you. And let me uh, use that as a way to talk about that. This is a way that the heart learns to go back to the heart. And it's a deeper way of learning and moving through life. So certainly we all have our destinations and our plans and our goals, but I have learned over uh, my years to hold them loosely. They only navigate the surface world of circumstance. If I am interested in that aliveness and that relationship and experiencing meaning, inevitably I'm asked to put aside what I want and weave the lessons that I'm given. And so the very thing that we're talking about in terms of how we happen to be approaching writing, which I think of now in this point in my life as listening and taking notes more than saying what it is I have to say. This is also how the heart learns. This is how the heart weaves, uh, from point of meaning to point of meaning. And you know, it was Blake, William Blake, who said, straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to genius. And what's important there is not genius in the way we think of it as an exceptional capacity, but genius in the original definition, genius means attendant spirit. Everyone has a genius. Everyone has a genius. This is the shares the root with the word genie. So straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to relating to your attendant spirit, which will help you be most alive. And this is when we look at uh, Aladdin's lamp. It's not just about a genie giving you what you want. It's more deeply in a Jungian and a metaphysical level. It's more deeply when you embrace the light of your life, your attendant spirit shows up to guide you. I want to ask you then, I think our challenge is to notice when that 
guiding spirit is answering us. Like if we're saying, okay, help me or whatever we're doing, how do we stop long enough to notice the signs that are being given to us? Well, I think, I think we have to, and this speaks to a larger problem in our age currently. And, uh, you know, I think some, there are so many things that have isolated and, uh, you know, which I, I dealt with in surviving storms that have isolated and cracked us and kept us insular. And I feel like we, a good majority or, or at least a good portion of humanity has lost its direct connection to life. And so all the traditions speak about restoring that. That's what, that's what consciousness, that's what heart, knowing by heart is all about. And so how do we know this? Well, there are facts. There, there are facts that we can agree on, you know, and uh, we can have conversations about what they mean. But, you know, if I put my hand in water, I don't need you to tell me it's wet. I know what pain is. I know what love is. I know what fear is. I know what safety is. I know what wonder is. And so how do we restore our direct connection with life? Because when we have a direct connection with life, we have a reverence for life. And if we have a reverence for life, we can't do harm. This is one of the things that so uh, shocked me as so many people when I witnessed the insurrection um, uh, live on TV, because here, forget the politics, here were people being barbarically cruel while taking pictures of themselves. And that told me that direct connection is severed. They don't know if this is real or a video game. Right. And so the greatest gift we can do right now is to keep restoring our direct connection of life and to keep building on what we know to be true so uh when we when we come back after the break let me talk about uh, the practice of honoring as a way to do that great i'm here with mark nepo he is the author of falling down and getting up discovering your inner resilience and strength and he also mentioned his previous book surviving storms and you know uh, so many wonderful wonderful books that you have given us in the book of poetries um i'm here with mark nepo i'm justine willis toms you're listening to new dimensions
I'm here with poet and spiritual teacher, um, fellow explorer and pilgrim on the path, I would say, uh, Mark Nepo. And we want to talk about the honoring that you you were just describing. Yeah, in- so this is one of the, you know, the word honor is a, is a wonder, is an amazing word because it, what it literally means is to keep what is true in view. So if we want to restore our direct connection in life, we need to keep what is true in view. We need to personalize and a practice of honoring. So if you and I as friends and you come to me in a time of cloudedness where you're, you've lost a sense of yourself, I honor you by keeping what I know to be true about you in view so you can see it. I honor myself by keeping what I know to be true about my spirit in view. It doesn't stay hidden. I honor life itself. So how do we in all directions invoke and literally, and this was I would call spiritual practicality, what does a practice of honoring look like for you? Very specifically and personally, because that helps us remember the things about this life that are true and irreducible. So another way to ask that, a question I would offer people who are listening is, can you describe one, two, or three reliable truths you can return to? One, two, or three reliable truths that are foundational for you that you can return to. How can you honor them? How can you keep those truths in view so you don't forget them? This reminds me of um, two things that I have picked up from readings of your many books. Two things. One that really popped out for me, Mark, was a way in which we can really touch into spirit and into our own aliveness is to practice loving at least one thing. Yes. Okay, our assignment, our assignment. (laughs) I mean, we don't have to love it all. We don't have to take it all in. We don't have to be all in for everyone. But if we can love one thing deeply, that accomplishes something that enlivens us. Is that, Am I getting I, that? Yes, I believe that if we love one thing deeply and wholeheartedly, we will not only learn how to love, but we will, we will love the world through the one thing. Because everything in, in this life, at least I feel, and there are, you know, two historic camps on this one one feels that nothing is connected and the other uh camp is that everything is connected i certainly as a poet uh feel that everything is connected and so when we love one it's like electricity flowing uh through all the wires and it lights the one bulb when we love one thing that bulb goes on 
and it connects into this network of spirit that connects everything. And so, yes, desire. And I, 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 I think there's a chapter in one of my books recently that the 10,000 hands, where I use the metaphor of, you know, desire is the 10, the heart has 10,000 hands. It wants everything and it wants it now. I want to eat all the flavors of ice cream. I want to love everybody. I want to have, you know, love four people at once. Well, um, we're human and we, we might be able to do that, but we won't do it well because we can only love one thing at a time well. So instead of, and, and, the t and obeying the 10,000 hands draws us out of our life out there. If I can just get that, if I can get over there, if I can have enough of this or enough of that, then I'll be happy or whatever. And of course, if we take that far enough, that's the root of all addiction. It, this one more drink, one more, buy one more thing, gamble on one more thing, uh, ha take one more drug, uh, sleep with one more person, whatever it might be. And I'm not talking about morality. I'm talking about this is spiritual physics too. But if the, but I only have two hands. And so if through my heart, this is where the heart again is, is, is the, what is the thing in us that directs where our life force goes. If I take all that does it's dire from the 10,000 hands and put it into the two hands I have, and whatever, and bring it to you, one person, then then eternity opens up. Exactly, exactly. And that connects to the other piece that I brought, and this has to do with, and you've already really said this yourself, we are in kinship with everything and we may forget that and we may feel alone and isolated and the stories we tell ourselves we wall ourselves off but the truth is we actually are in kinship this is you know one of the great metaphors for this is the hindu uh image of indra's net and indra was one of the hindu gods the god of connection and Indra was believed to have had a palace hovering above the earth. And Indra made a net that covered all of existence. And instead of knots at every interstice, there was a jewel. And if you look closely enough at any one of the jewels, you could see reflected in it all the other jewels in the entire net. And it's a spiritual form of DNA. And so... The early Hindu teachers very quickly took this and said, those jewels are our heart. And when our heart is clear, in any heart that is clear and loving, you can see all the other hearts that ever lived and how they're connected, reflected in one clear heart. And the Sufis have a practice known as polishing the heart till it becomes a mirror. So when, how does that translate down into everyday life? Brilliant as our minds are, there's only so far my mind can go. And so when I am stumped, give, be kind, love. And all of a sudden the connections. And, and so in Indra's net, when you're not clear, 
Well, then we turn back into a knot. We can't see the net and how it, but we're still, we are still holding the net together. I have to go with the metaphor of the net uh, to go further yeah, with it. Sure. Because I, I was, I was trying to look up on my notes right now because that here's what I wrote. I said, we must feed more than our fear and touch more reliable truth that resides beneath all fear. And then you say, it's like a strong net that softens the carriage of weight and the strength of our kinship with all things. Yes. Yes. A very like real example of that is because the net of relationship distributes the suffering. If you carry something physical in a net, if you and I carry it, we distribute the weight by carrying it in the net. So I have a dear, dear friend who helped save my life almost 40 years ago. And just last year, he lost his wife very suddenly to a massive heart attack. And he's just devastated. And I've been there, want to, and am. We are journeying together. Well, I have other dear friends who only know of him through me. They don't know him. But because they know I'm holding him, they're holding me. And we take turns. Next year, I might be the one that's being held by you. And people you know who don't know me will hold you, and that is distributing the net. And so that, to me, I'm turning the word net into a verb. That is the art of netting. I love it. I love it. And I I so have an, uh, my own uh, experience of that recently with, uh-huh. the, uh, with the death of my dear circle sister, who I was in circle with for 45 years. And, uh-huh. and we did uh, her burial yesterday. And it was a natural burial where she was wrapped in a shroud. And, and we all participated in the, in all facets of all of all of this mm, dying mm. and burial and and it brought together again it knitted as you said together netted together us as a community and even in the grief there is like this collective holding that we're all doing with each other it's it's strengthened the community. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When we can be who we are everywhere, then the the resources of life are there to hold us up, to hold us up. Oh, wow. Uh, we've just gone <laughs> so deep and so far. I loved our journey together and I've run out of time, but I just want to thank you so much, Mark, for being with us today. And I'd like to thank you. I'd like to remind people that his newest writing is Falling Down and Getting Up, Discovering Your Inner Resilience and Strength. And to know more about him, go to his website, marknepo.com. And he spells his last name N-E-P-O, marknepo.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening 
to new dimensions. This is program number 3,792. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.